Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hi, everybody. This is Joe Moss, and welcome to On the Money. This show is uh, sponsored by Embassy National Bank. We are a nationally chartered bank, and our deposits are insured by the FDIC. We try to bring you topics that will help you run your small business better because at Embassy National Bank, we really do try to help small businesses. In fact, that was the foundation of this show was try to get topics out there that you could listen to and uh, help you run your business better. In fact, uh, we've had a couple of shows that uh, we've got listenership up to over 400,000 listenings. Uh, We average about 160,000. So this is... um, This has worked rather well, and we appreciate everybody listening. Um, Today, uh, we're going to talk to David Kim. David, welcome. Hey, how you doing, Joe? He is the founder and vice chairman of C2 Education, and we're going to uh, let him talk about how the business got started um, and what his has, uh, I guess I'm going to use the word, exploded into. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the challenges that – uh, that David and his partners have had along the way, but I think you're really going to enjoy the in, really enjoy the show. So let's get into it. So David, welcome. Hey, how you doing, Joe? Good. Tell us about C2 Education. Yeah, so C2 uh, is a uh, a company that helps high school students uh, get into uh, the college of their choice. Uh, helps them kind of navigate what uh, colleges and universities they might want to get into, and uh, we teach them how to get in there. So we help them with test scores, we help them with um, their grades at school, uh, we help them with their application, you know, how to write their essay, um, and then ultimately um, we also help uh, find ways for them to pay for it as well too. Wow. So um, it's, it's geared, it's kind of like supplemental to what they're doing in, in high school now. It is. Um, so it is geared toward the high school student who's looking to go to college, uh, but obviously there's a lot of choices out there, and you know it's it's really helping them uh, with that whole process. I'm glad you do that because we were, let's put it this way: the more motivated your high school student is, the more you want to try to put him or he or she into the right school. Absolutely, and maybe think out of the box a little bit. Yeah, and I don't want to insult Bulldog fans, but maybe not just go to University of Georgia. <laughs> Right. That's correct. So, I mean, it's, it's funny. I mean, a lot of the, the, the students we work with, so we're, we're in 16 states now. We have, um, you know, over 220 centers nationwide. Um, you know, we have physical uh, brick and mortar centers um, that students come to after school. They're typically located, you know, near uh, their high schools, probably within a, a mile of, of their high school. And, um, you know, it, it's funny. Um, every state we go to, if it's in Georgia, um, you know, 90% of the students want to want to be a bulldog. If, if you're in North Carolina, 90% want to be a Tar Heel. Right. Um, if you're in Maryland, 90% want to be a Terp. So right. it's 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 really funny just how much of an effect, uh, you know, the big uh, the big state universities have, and especially when when college football season comes around, it has an even more um, dramatic effect. You know, one of the things that we try to do is you know really explain to students that you know there are choices beyond that that might be a better fit, uh, you know, for those students, and and, and that was the real big opportunity that we noticed that there were a lot of students who weren't really thinking out of the box, weren't really thinking beyond, um, you know, kind of the four walls of their immediate neighborhood and, and what their friends were talking about and, and, and really being able to show them that 
all these other options might exist, these options that might you know, be a better fit to their personality, be a better fit to their interests, be a better fit to their potential future, um, was really eye-opening for a lot of students. And, and, and that's how we really came upon this, this idea of, of C2, actually. Um, how did you get started? Um, so, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, there's a lot of um, businesses, I guess, that start out of college dorm rooms. You know, there's Facebook and there's Microsoft and uh, Dell. Um, you know, I, I, I had the good fortune of, of, of going, to, going to Harvard. And, and so a friend of mine, um, you know, had an opportunity to help uh, students, um, you know, in a myriad of subjects. And as we were working with, uh, you know, students on a volunteer basis, as well as for a, um, you know, per pay basis as well in terms of private tutoring, um, you know, we really noticed that parents and students just had a lot of questions about, you know, colleges beyond, um, you know, the ones that they were familiar with, like Boston College, you know, MIT or Harvard that, that were there in Massachusetts and, and really wanted to see what that whole spectrum was. Um, the other thing was, was really seeing that that students, there's so many students who have the potential to get into these great schools, um, but who don't necessarily have that individual there to really encourage them and mentor them uh, and, and really show them how, how, to, how, to, how to accomplish that. Um, and so, you know, that was just a, an opportunity that we really recognized as, as something that parents and students would really appreciate, uh, where there would be a win-win situation where we could you know, make a business out of it, uh, but also do something that really helped families at the end of the day. So what, what started, was it the money aspect or the passion for helping the student? It was definitely the, the passion aspect of it, right? Uh, we really saw ourselves, so Jim and I, um, you know, he was a, a classmate of mine at Harvard, um, you know, lived uh, literally above me in my, in my dormitory. You know, we, we really had a great time um, you know, helping high school kids, uh, and even now, talk- did this happen before you got to Harvard or while you were at Harvard? This is while we were at Harvard. So this okay. is our freshman year. Was that know. something that Harvard wanted you to do, or did you just? How did you get involved with high school students at that point? Because freshman year of college for me, the last thing I was thinking about was helping a high school student. <laughs> well. There are a couple of things. So as, as a, uh, uh, a college student, you don't always have a lot of walking around money. So it, it was always good to uh, be able to tutor students. But we also did it initially on a volunteer basis. Okay. Um, you know, Harvard is, is really you know, strong in its messaging to its students in terms of giving back um, you know, via public service. And so we, we, we first started as, as being volunteer tutors. Uh, and then there were uh, four pay parents who started contacting us um, who heard that we were tutoring these students for free, but, you know, they wanted to pay for their particular students because they weren't at need. And, and then we really got into it, you know, really wholeheartedly from there. So um, while at Harvard, how, how much should the business grow while you were there? Well, you know, I think Harvard is great in really supporting its students um, on ventures like this. So, mm -hmm. you know, all the things on campus are actually student run. Um, the uh, dormitory cleaning service, the dry cleaner, the the stores, the bartending service. If if you're an alumni that want to have a, a party at your house, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, all these um, you know organizations and groups uh, are student run, and so um, you know we were able to get um, some stipend and, and some money to to really help help launch this as as a, a real kind of quote unquote business uh, run by students. Um, you know, and, and, and thereafter we started, you know, creating a training program, you know, studying more about, um, you know, educational methods and pedagogy. How do you best teach students uh, as well as beginning to learn how to market uh, what our product uh, would eventually become? Well, one of the things that we run into a lot on this show are the people that start a business because of a passion they have. And then they quickly realize 
that I've got to move away from the actual doing of the passion and start running a business. Correct. And did you, where did you hit that mark? Um, that was pretty immediate because, you know, an individual can only scale so much, right? And, 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 and building a business is really about scaling it up. And so how do you create a model that's, that's scalable? Um, we, quickly, you know, we quickly came to the conclusion that um, if, if we are doing all the tutoring uh, on a daily basis, it's, it just, just can't scale. You know, one person can only get to so many places so much. Um, initially, when we were students, I mean, this was a home tutoring service where we would go to people's houses or we would meet them at a Barnes and Noble or Starbucks or you know whatever was convenient, um, you know for the the customer and us at the time, and 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 kind of looking at all right, you know what is scalable? You know having people actually come to you where you wouldn't have to deal with travel time, uh, where you could you know hire uh, you know a, a tutor for a, a block of time and, and be able to sell that block of time to a parent. Um, you know, and so that's that's where the whole notion of actually having physical centers that were in close proximity to where students were came about is is you know, how do you build this into a business? Um, you know, just going door to door just just doesn't do that. What year did you decide? All right, we're going to have our very first geographic location. So we we started thinking about that in uh, 1998. Um, and then we ended up uh, building it, uh, started building it in 99 and, and opened its door basically in the beginning of 2000. Was this a standalone building? Was it a strip center? It was in a, it was in a strip center. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and what was your cost to build out just out of curiosity at that point? So, I mean, it, it's funny. I mean, you know, building, a, you know, building a learning center out, you know, you need to obviously uh, have the build out. You need to have the material, the curriculum. And so we had to license a lot of those things in the beginning. You know, we didn't have our own, um, you know, um, you know, intellectual property that that we could leverage, uh, just because we didn't have a, a team of curriculum writers. And so, you know, all those factors, um, you know, loaded in was was around a hundred thousand. If if we did it ourselves, if we were the general contractor, if we went and got the permitting and and, and so on and so forth, and, and so. You know, we had to find a way to get that money, which was um, the next dilemma in in launching this this business. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. You were, all of a sudden you were in need of a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. How did you go about getting it? So yeah, we 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 put together a business plan uh, that we felt was uh, you know pretty conservative in its its numbers um, in terms of how many students we need to attain to break even. Um, we also hedged our bets a little bit. You know, the first. Um, you know, C2s were actually a little bit more broader in scope. They weren't, they weren't just focused on the high school student. We did elementary, middle, high school. We did enrichment in art, music, um, you know, the whole, the whole driver's education. I mean, there, there was a lot of things that we had added on there. And, and so we, we first went to family members. They oh, we'll, we'll get some money from family members or people we know. Um, you know, there were some, you know, investment groups that were, you know, making big investments in the internet at the time before the, the dot-com crash in 01. And so we we uh, we we hit the road um, asking for money with uh, with with this uh, business plan we put together. Um, unfortunately, we 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 got no's from everybody, so um, it's not it's not unusual. Um, you know, hearing a, a pitch from you know a twenty one year old, you know, not even yet you know, graduated college kid, in, in in saying, hey, you know, we have this grand vision, we feel like these these centers are going to work, um, and and here's the pitch. Um, so originally, you know, uh, I, I had saved up money to, to go to, to go to graduate school, you know, to get my master's degree. Mm -hmm. and, and so I ended up, I, I'd put a deposit down. I, I ended up, uh, getting a refund for that. And, and I plowed, you know, so I had, I had around 50,000 saved up for that, that, that I actually, uh, plowed into the business. 
Uh, my partner Jim had had another 10 that he had saved. Uh, and then at the time, uh, whether it was right or wrong, it was very easy for college students to get a lot of credit cards. We, we probably had 20 credit cards between the two of us. <laughs> and um, you know those were uh, subsequently maxed out as well. So that, that's how we got to the number. So I think this is an important step because yeah. a lot of people would have gotten to that step and would have said, you know what, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Let's talk about the business plan. What why do you think people said no? Was it too big? Was it too grand? Was it not big enough? Uh, was it just, we, we're just not buying into it? What, what do you think the no's were from? Yeah, so I, I think it was learning about, you know, how, how do you sell to individuals, right? So that, that's something that in, in, the, in the beginnings of uh, building the company, we had to become very, very, you know, skilled at and attuned at to be able to survive as, as a company. I think you know we, we had not yet launched a business. We had no debt. Um, you know we were not underwater <laughs> by any means, and so um, you know that urgency I, I don't think was immediately apparent when we were going around um, you know to our family members and relatives and friends that we knew um, in, in terms of pitching the business. In terms of the the math and the logic, um, you know it basically that business plan is what we replicated uh, when we uh, built our first center and subsequent center. So you know the 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 logic and the math. Uh, and the assumptions behind it were, were actually very sound. I think um, what was not sound was our ability to convince people that, hey, this you can works. believe in us, right? right? Like we, we can actually do this. We can actually um, get a return on your investment. We can actually um, you know, build a, a sustainable business that, that, that's going to thrive. Uh, I think what they saw were just uh, you know, two, um, you know, two college kids who, who maybe um, you know, uh, had a little too much fun every now and then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, listen, uh, the uh, you're listening to On the Money, brought to you by NBC National Bank. This is uh, Joe Moss. We're talking to David Kim, and he and his partner uh, started a company called C2. And we're in the early stages of it, and we're talking about the point where they hit a brick wall, and uh, but they were still buying into the into the concept themselves, and they leveraged themselves as much as they could to get started. So. You're at the end of, uh, I guess you're leveraged out. You built your first location. Correct. Um, so now at this point, you've got to run the location. You've got to ask for money. You're still in school. Are you still in school at that uh, point? No, graduated. Okay. So you've yeah. graduated at that point. Um, and then you've got to market, uh, you got to market the business. You've got to find customers. So what roles did you all decide to take? Yeah, so we in the beginning, I mean, we have to wear all the hats. I mean, if you're if you're launching a business um, and and you have um, you know this idea that um, you know a lot of people are doubting. I mean, at the time, this notion of of getting you know intensive coaching you know for uh, college admissions was 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 pretty new to to most people, right? This is two thousand, and, and nowadays, I mean, you have it for for college acceptance, you have it for sports, you have it for music, but at, at the time, it, it was more of a rarity, and so you know we knew. How many students we needed to get, right? We needed to get around sixty-five students, um, you know, for the business to have a positive cash flow per location. Per location, and okay. we only had one location at the time, right? And so, you know, we, we just started doing math. I mean, we looked at all right. There's there's three high schools, you know, within two and a half mile radius of where we originally opened our location, right? So we were very keen on all right, you know, where where is our target customers? We also opened up um, right outside of Baltimore, where I'm from originally, so. Um, you know, we had a lot of contacts, right? We had a lot of people we knew at the schools. We knew people at churches, synagogues. I mean, you, you name it. Um, you know, we, we we hit the pavement. You know, really getting the word out. You know, talking about how 
college counseling and early preparation helps you get into uh, school. So really educating parents and really educating people in the marketplace about mm -hmm. you know what this product that we were providing um, you know would really um, you know do to help um, you know their students at the end of the day. And, and we did that all during construction time, right? So what we really wanted to do was all right. Once construction ended, we knew we had to start paying rent, and we knew hey, we we need to start paying for expenses. You know, the three four months prior to that, I mean, we were literally visiting you know every school almost on a daily basis. Like, what can we do to offer? What can we do um, to provide free services? You know, when we weren't you know kind of supervising you know people picking up hammers and and, and laying carpet down. At any point in time, did you say maybe this wasn't such a good idea? I mean, once uh, you know, uh, we made the decision to plow. You know what savings we had. Um, you kind of were all in, I right? Mean, you're, you're all in. You're you're pot committed, and you know the great thing is, you know, we, we kind of did some. You know, you do some you do some math in your head. I mean, we were we were we were 21, 22 at the time. Um, you know, we had no families to support, so you know, there there wasn't much baggage that was holding us down, right? So so making that bet on ourselves and making that bet on, on the idea that we had. Um, you know, wasn't, you know, a great leap of faith for us as individuals. Um, you know, obviously, if, you know, someone who is in a different stage of life, it, it'd be very different. What is what is the margin on your business? Uh, the margin on our business is around 30 percent. 30 percent. And that's um, after rent and everything. Everything. That's a that's a very good margin. It is. It's very and important. you would think in there's not a lot of compared to other kinds of businesses, not as capital intensive as other businesses. Correct. Well, although you felt it was very intensive when you had leveraged yourself out, I guess. I mean, relative to obviously a restaurant or, right. or something, you know, um, that requires you to buy machinery and, and whatnot, I, obviously very capital light. So, and once you got one location up, what made you say, all right, let's go do another, another, and another? Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we spent almost uh, nine months uh, trying to determine where we we're going to open our first location. And, and so we actually did a, a survey of almost the entire East Coast, all the way up from uh, uh, Boston, all the way down to uh, to Atlanta, actually, mm -hmm. you know, trying to determine, you know, you know, where would give us the best opportunity for success. I mean, we, we weren't tethered to any place. Um, again, going back to we had no family, we had no kids. Right. I mean, we could literally live anywhere uh, and start this business anywhere. And, and so we actually ranked, you know, almost 200 centers. 200 towns and cities up and down the East Coast uh, that we liked. Uh, we actually built it at, at the one that was ranked 100 because we felt like the the family support and the friend support uh, of doing something from where we were from uh, would give us more success. But from a location perspective, it, it actually wasn't the best. This was Baltimore? It's Baltimore. Yeah. We're in Baltimore. What area? It's in Baltimore County. It's a, a town called Timonium. Okay. And um, what made you... So your first location was Baltimore. Correct. And yeah. And... and there are a lot of things went into that demographics, but also where you would feel comfortable, be able to, to, um, I guess you knew a lot of people there, so you could kind of get the word out. Correct. So from a marketing perspective, we felt like we didn't have to start anew. Um, you know, we knew people in the, uh, the local chambers. We knew people at all the schools, at the libraries, um, you know, at, uh, you know, other cultural establishments within the area. And so, um, you know, getting the word out uh, proved to be a lot easier, even though it wasn't as dense or, you know, some of the traditional demographic numbers weren't as strong. Um, you know, leveraging that uh, was, a, was a huge advantage, despite uh, the market not being as strong as it is. Were you surprised that in, and I guess at Harvard, that you, it sounded like there was a lot of demand for what you were trying to do. Um, were you surprised that you had to work so hard to find your first customers? 
Um, no, not really. I, I think I think Harvard was unique in in terms of the school is there, and so parents um, they expect you know, it. They expect it. They see it, desire it because it's in their face. I I I didn't go through any any type of tutoring or, or coaching. Um, you know, when when I was a high school student, um, you know, my mom tried to put me into a, a program, Princeton Review. And um, you know my uh, my cousin and I we went there. He pretended to be my guardian. We got a refund and and we went to the beach all summer. So we did right, and um, and and so you know you know for me I thought I thought it was. Does mom know this? Uh, she'll be, now she does. If she hears the show. She'll probably know this. Um, you know I, I had a great time. Um, and I learned got, a lot. I learned a lot about something, um, but. Um, so, so we knew we had, we had to educate people, um, but you know, we, we kind of started the business at, at a good time. So there's definitely some luck involved as well. Um, you know, the college acceptances were getting much more harder. You know, people were getting more um, aware of college rankings that are in like the yeah, US. Yeah, I'm thinking back on, on those years. I know that uh, yeah. uh, college tutoring was brand new. Yeah. Gosh, a lot of stuff started happening back then. Yeah. Uh, travel sports started happening that yeah. back then where people – Parents were getting more and more aware of the fact that I've got to really open up my child's eyes, and they would do that with with sports, with education, with a lot of different things. Interesting. So, as you started the 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 first center, how quickly did you get to your break even? Yeah, so we we actually had uh, ten students when we opened up um, our our center day one. So you know we we had started off going door to door to people's homes. So, you know, while construction was happening, we actually went to people's houses uh, to enroll them mm -hmm. uh, and to start the tutoring process with students. And we would show them this, you know, diagram, this layout of what the the center would look like uh, that was provided by our, you know, our architect and, and the space plans um, and say, hey, it's coming. It's, it's, this, is, this is real. This is not like some, some scam. Um, and, and so we were able to start um, with uh, a good number of students right away, and, and we got to break even within three months, actually. Well, now, um, I think I know the answer to this yeah. question, but as you started to put money in the bank, not taking it out, yeah. um, you were still thinking about the future, so you kept the money in the bank, I would think. Correct. Okay. Um, and that's another mistake we hear about a lot, where you start making some profits, and unfortunately, you stop putting it into the business, yeah. and you start putting it in your pocket, yeah. and uh, therefore, you've kind of eliminated the chance to expand. Yeah. So when did you decide, hey, we need to go do another one of these things? So nine months into it, um, and we felt like the business was pretty stable. We felt like we had a product that really had legs. I mean, we were we were convinced uh, between Jim and Jim and myself, but you know we weren't convinced that the the market was completely ready. Uh, and when we saw that, um, you know, this business was was actually sustainable. Uh, nine months going in, we we started to uh, look for locations. Actually, two and three that that we did at month uh, fifteen and uh, seventeen. And and um, that first center, uh, how many students did you have there before you went to the next one? Uh, we had almost uh, 90 students. 90 students. Yeah. So you're well above break even, yeah. a sustainable model. Everything's looking good. You decide to go to number two and number three. At that point, how were you funding everything? Yeah. So for number two and three, um, since we had one location down, um, we actually leveraged the same landlord to do uh, two and three, and, and, and we got them to build the, the centers for us. So we didn't have to put any uh, capital into them. Did you have to give up any ownership for doing that? No, we didn't. You just signed a lease? Yeah. All right. And yep. then they did all the TI. They did all the TI. So you may have had to pay up a little bit for the rent, but yeah. you're paying back all the TI. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And then um, 
at what point did you say, wait a minute, we got to go raise money to do our expansion? Or did you? Well, we didn't. So okay. um, in locations two and three, uh, we opened those in the uh, Northern Virginia market right outside of D.C. in Fairfax County, which was just booming at the time. Yeah. And, and the demand for a product was just just like like they had never like seen tutoring before. They had never like seen food before. I mean, I, I don't know what it was. Right. Um, and, and, and so those two, uh, I mean, they, they did double what, what uh, our first one, Timonium, did. And so that, that allowed us to basically, um, you know, get to uh, 10 centers within um, uh, 36 months. What did it, tell me the experience or the feeling when you sat back and you went, wow, this is working. Yeah, I mean, definitely when, when we hit uh, double digits, um, you know, it, it, was, it was pretty amazing. I mean, we were still very hands-on. In, in all parts of the business at the time, you know, at, at that size, it, it's kind of funny. We we're still able to leverage a lot of our personal networks, you know, within the uh, the Mid Atlantic area, and so you know, all of those centers in the beginning, even though we didn't have you know structured uh, training uh, for our our tutoring, um, you know, we hired someone that that we had personally known either you know in college or in high school that we knew was a, a very good student um, that could really explain things very well, and 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 we kept quality control. Um, you know, just from the fact that we, we could vouch for that individual. What were the um, difficulties of the business back then? Well, the biggest difficulty was finding, um, you know, counselors. Um, you know, I was going to say, yeah. You know, talk to parents, A, B, be able to collect tuition from parents, right? So, um, you know, when you have a, a 21, 22-year-old college kid, you know, asking a, a parent to pay tuition, you know, sometimes they just kind of uh, brush him aside and, and, and ignore uh, him We'll or get her. to that, right. Yeah. So, and, and so finding individuals uh, that really believed in what we were doing, uh, that understood, you know, kind of what the, the mission and purpose would be, uh, and, and that could be more business minded, um, that was absolutely the biggest challenge in the business. What part of the business did you enjoy the most back in those days? Oh, I mean, every aspect is 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 is. Did is, you ever miss actually doing the hands-on tutoring? I, I do. I mean, uh, you know, working at a physical center is 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 the most enjoyable part about what we do. I mean, it, it, when we started growing, like where we are today, um, you know, you don't get to live and and breathe the stories. You don't interact with the students and see, you know, the the immediate difference that you're making on a day in day out basis, or or the thank yous that you get from parents and students uh, when they get their college admissions letter. Uh, in the springtime, I mean that that time of year. If you if you physically go to a center, uh, I mean it's just it, it, you just overflow with just kind of the the emotional, you know, benefit that you get from that. Right. I I I can only imagine because there's some really bright kids out there now. I don't know what's in the water, but <laughs> they seem my children are ten times more smarter than I am and more capable. And I, and I don't know why that is, you know, and I see that with their friends and yeah. I see that as they go through school and go through life. You, you mentioned that you did franchise at one point. We did. But let's talk about that experience. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of, we just had a show on franchising. Yeah. So one of the biggest challenges for us was, was finding, um, you know, kind of that manager, um, at, at a location to really be able to. Um, you know, talk to parents, be able to counsel parents and students, uh, and, and really handle the uh, the business side uh, of what it is that we do. Was that the key to success? Was that person the manager of the location? Oh, absolutely, and okay. and it still is today. I mean, that that's the number one um, um, you know hire that that we're always constantly looking for uh, as as we've been expanding the business. And so, you know, finding you know such an individual who had a vested interest in the success of the students, the parents, as well as the financial success of, of the physical center, 
uh, we thought you know franchising might be a, a natural way to go about solving uh, that question. Um, and there's a lot of people in the education space uh, that go that route as well too. And so tell me about uh, getting ready for the franchise, your actual sale, what kind of marketing you did, what was, what'd you learn from all that? Yeah, we, we learned that uh, we weren't very good at it. <laughs> okay, number one, um, you know, be, becoming a franchisor is, is a business in itself, right? Um, you know, you are you are in the business of selling a business to other individuals um, and getting them to succeed uh, in that business at the end of the day. And so, obviously, going to franchise trade shows, franchise conventions, putting advertisements out, whether it's in the USA Today, the Wall Street Journal, you know, Entrepreneur Magazine, whatever it might be, and and being able to do a tour and a uh, you know, a meet and greet with, um, you know, individuals for a, a franchise uh, prospectus is, is obviously very different from what we were doing on a day-to-day -day basis with the consumers. And then the franchisor selection, yeah. which must be critical because one thing that we've learned into lending in franchises is the franchisor doesn't want a franchisee not to perform well. That's correct. It's a major risk. You're, you're having to almost hand select your, your initial franchisees. Correct. So we, we, we were, um, you know, when we started franchising, you know, we're early 20s. And so we, we thought, we, we thought a little differently at the time, right? So we, we learned that lesson as well, too. So we thought if you have money, you qualify was, <laughs> was, was our initial belief that uh, an individual is able to accrue so much capital, they must have the wherewithal to have done that. And hence, they should have the wherewithal to protect their investment to do to do well in the business. Right. And, and we quickly learned that uh, a third did, a third kind of were so-so, and a third were not very good. <laughs> and in today's world of regulation, all that has to be disclosed to every subsequent franchisee. Is correct. that correct? Correct. Okay. And um, so you, how many franchises did you sell? Uh, we, we sold 45. Uh, today we have 28. So we, and we, yeah, you mentioned you yeah. started buying them back. Now, correct. what was the reason for buying them back? So we bought back a lot of the underperformers. Okay. Um, you know, they were obviously hurting our brand. Um, you know, they were not delivering on the promises as well as we felt like they should. Um, so the, 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 the majority of the 28 that are in existence today are, are very good operators. I mean, they are, to your point, uh, the ones that we should have only selected in the beginning. I mean, they deliver a great product. Um, you know, for the communities that they serve, they really, you know, help, you know, promote, you know, the C2 brand, uh, and, and they have a very good, um, living as well doing it. Well, and, and I think you brought up an excellent point by saying, um, it's really two separate businesses. Oh, it is. And I don't think people realize that when they start to the franchise, they think, well, I'm just going to be doing this more somewhere else, but it is really a two separate businesses. No, absolutely. I mean, you have to have the separate support system, you know, accounting, uh, training, different I mean, mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Everything. Absolutely. Okay. Um, now you also mentioned that, uh, you have, you were the CEO, but now you've stepped down. So let's talk about that transition. It must be tough to be the founder and then decide I'm going to step back a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I've been running the company for, uh, for 16, 17 years, actually. Uh, we brought in a private investment company, a private equity group, you know, invested in C2 around uh, six and a half years ago, you know, helping helping us take the business to the next level. I mean, at the time, we had 62 um, corporate centers and uh, you know, 45 franchisees. Um, you know, today we have, you know, over 200 
you know, corporate centers with the, with the 28 franchisees. So, you know, we've, 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 we've more than, you know, doubled the business today and almost tripled the business. And so, you know, one of the things that we felt like we needed was, um, you know, we needed a, a partner uh, who could help mentor us, right? Who could really help, help us build a, a world-class team when it comes to, um, you know, human resource, marketing, the whole nine yards. And so we were able to bring on some really great people and, and really build a business uh, you know, that could, you know, really be independent of its founders. And I think that's, that's what you want. I mean, you know, we built a business. Our goal was to get students to be independent um, learners and independent individuals eventually away from their parents, away from school. And, and we wanted the same for the company one day as well. One of the things that I'm hearing is that of being um, pretty humble. Um, and when you mentioned uh, franchising, we really didn't know how to do that very well. Um, it, I think, it takes a lot to realize that. Hey, wait a minute, we're not, we weren't able to do that real well. So now we got to go back and kind of refocus. Correct. And then this decision to bring in private equity—that must have been a tough decision. It was um, because you're giving up your company. Yes, you're, you're giving up control. It was very different. I mean, it was a great learning experience. But definitely, you know, a lot of, you know, your day-to-day decision-making is, is really beholden to uh, uh, an outside board. Um, and, and, and you are delivering on promises that, that you made um, to your investors. And in, in, that, in that process, I guess your thought process, if I give up this, I'm going to get more of that. Correct. But I'm going to lose control. And some people have trouble with that decision. Yeah, so it's it, it it is very challenging. Um, you know, we had a few individuals that left uh, because of the challenge, the changes. I mean, when we were uh, a completely completely privately held company, you know, the only promises that we had to really be aware of was the promises we made to our customers, mm-hmm. a, and the promises we made to um, you know the people that were working at C two, right? That was A and B. Now you've you've thrown in a third promise that you've made to your investors, which don't always. They, they come in expecting a growth rate. Correct. So they, they don't always tie together with the promise you make to a customer or a promise you make to an employee. Sometimes it goes against to a promise you make to an investor. How do you make that decision? Well, at the end of the day, you want to make the right decision. And so uh, for me, the last you know, six years has, has been you know, arguing on behalf of the customer and our employee um, that, that decisions you know, geared toward that lens in the long run uh, will ultimately accrue to the investor, right? And so we, we've actually had a great investment group that really understands that, um, that have been very patient. Um, you know, they continue uh, to be investors in C2. They, they don't have any intention of, of getting out of C2 in, anytime soon uh, because they, they understand that value proposition. And so, um, you know, when we looked for a group to partner with, um, you know, we really wanted to find someone that really understood that. And so and understood how it really ran. Correct. Okay. I, obviously, you know, they, they'll, they'll make some, uh, knee jerk reactions, sure. um, uh, frequently. <laughs> and so it's, it's always trying to manage them and, and, and be able to explain to them that, uh, you know, the decisions that we're making as a, a leadership team is, is ultimately the right one. That's, that's, un, that's fascinating. Yeah. The, the transitions you've been able to make and. And uh, and and talking about the thought process behind each of them has been very helpful today because we often talk about how to go to the next level and the changes you have to make in the business plan, the changes you have to make within yourself, taking on different roles that you're not used to, all those things. And it sounds like you've been able to do all that extremely well. It's been uh, it's 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 been it's it's been a great uh, it's been a great journey. Um, so what's the next step? 
you know, the next step is is really, uh, you know, kind of exploring, um, you know, further things in in education. I mean, one of the things that that has been great about you know having a, a new group of partners is has been keeping us very focused on growing our business and growth for our partners has meant expanding, building more locations. You know, I've I've had a lot of passions beyond that. You know, whether it's in um, education technology, charter schools, and uh, and other you know kind of areas that have come across my way, you know, while, while, while being at C2. And, and now uh, the opportunity, the time has come that I can actually explore some of these things uh, away from being the, the CEO from a day-to-day basis. All right. You don't have to ask, answer yeah. this question, but we're gonna, I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. All right. You started off with 50 grand out of a graduate school college fund yeah. and 20 credit cards maxed yeah. out. I guess that totaled about a hundred grand. Yeah. Uh, obviously you've gotten that paid back. Yeah. What do you think the company's worth nowadays? Today, I mean, it's, it's probably worth around two hundred million today. Two hundred yeah. million, yeah. not a bad day's work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not a bad day. Not bad for two Harvard kids, right? Coming from Baltimore, did yeah. Jim come from Baltimore He's as well? He's from Philadelphia. He's from Philly. Yeah. Okay. He's happy these days. You know, the Eagles are doing well. Okay. So. All right. Well, listen, it's been wonderful talking to you. This is it's a, been a lot this, of fun, Joe. This is a great story. You can, yeah, you've got a lot. You can help small business people with because a lot of folks going through all those mental challenges i had a small business myself once it did really well i was unable to basically make the step from not doing it and trying to run it yeah that's uh, the biggest i said that's the biggest leap yeah and um, um i struggled with that uh because i really like doing it and i i guess i wanted to make sure that it ca- kept getting done as well as as I thought I could do it. And so that was the, the big leap that I struggled with. I totally agree. Um, yeah. Going from that, that A to B is, is the huge. Yeah. And, and yeah. any business that's in a growth mode is going to have to wrestle with all these things that you had to wrestle with. So um, it's, it's very interesting. Okay. Um, David, one last thing. Someone's trying to start their own company. Some advice. I mean, it all starts with an idea. You got to have a lot of passion in that idea because, you know, it's not going to, there's not going to be immediate financial rewards on a day-to-day basis. Um, You know, you got to set the business up. Um, You're going to have to get a lot of things set up to get it done. I mean, you're going to hear a lot of discouragement. And so, you know, without having that, that passion for, you know, the idea at the end of the day, um, you know, it's really hard to kind of power through and, and, and see the light at the end of the tunnel. So, um, you know, you know, that, that's something I think that that's, that's very important is, is, is beginning with, you know, the, the idea that you can really get behind. And I think, uh, something my dad used to tell me all the time, uh, when you're doing a small business or in any line of work that you're really close to, you can't just be involved. You have to be committed. So well, what's the difference? He says, well, think about the chicken. I'm sorry. I'm, I messed up the story. <laughs> the, uh, eggs and bacon. Eggs and bacon. Yeah. You like eggs and bacon? Yeah. And he says, well, the chicken is involved. And that pig's committed. So just think. <laughs> That's true. You got to be the pig. I totally agree. <laughs> so anyway, Dave, thank you. And uh, great talking to you. Um, hopefully we can get you back on. Um, well, anyway, that's the show for the day. On the Money, brought to you by NBC National Bank. I'm Joe Moss, your moderator. Really enjoyed talking with David today. And uh, as you know, Embassy National Bank is uh, a nationally chartered bank. 
deposits insured by the FDIC. We love to help small businesses and uh, very frequently do so. Um, our job is the passion of helping small business, and hopefully the growth will follow from that. Enjoyed, uh, enjoyed this talk today, and uh, we frequently talk about things to remember as we leave the, leave the air, just some basic things. And I guess the first one is it's all about the passion first when you're going to start a business. Obviously, you got to figure out whether there's a margin. Um, be ready for failure, and it's going to take some dark days. There'll be a time, and, and when it doesn't feel like it's going to work, but just keep going. And then the other thing is uh, always be aware that the plan is going to change and you got to transition and change in, in your business as it grows is inevitable. With that, we're going to close this show and we'll see you next time.